0: The presenting sponsor of Top Docs is Netflix. Recently, we've had a chance to speak with the directors of several of Netflix's Emmy-nominated documentaries. We talked to Andrew Rossi about the Andy Warhol Diaries. Cootie Simmons and Chike Oza told us about The Making of Genius, a Kanye trilogy. And most recently, Felicity Morris gave us the backstory to the Tinder swindler. Check out these conversations in our feed and watch these documentaries, now available on Netflix. This is Top Docs. I'm Ken Jacobson. I'm Mike Merrill. Today, we're talking to Robert A. Martinez, editor of the multiple Emmy Award-nominated documentary, Lucy and Desi. Lucy and Desi is directed by Amy Poehler, who's nominated in the category of Outstanding Director. And it's written by Mark Monroe, who also received an Emmy nomination. And the film itself is nominated for Outstanding Documentary or Nonfiction Special. And the film is currently available on Amazon Prime. Robert Martinez is an Emmy and Ace Eddie Award-nominated documentary editor, whose previous works include The Bee Gees' How Can You Mend a Broken Heart, for which we have a podcast, and Ron Howard's Pavarotti. In talking to Robert, he not only brings the perspective of kind of, as he describes it, being in the weeds as the editor, but he also has a really strong big picture take on the themes of Lucy and Desi, on these two people as human beings and as characters in the film. And I thought a really nuanced perspective on both Lucy and Desi. And on the context within which they made the incredible I Love Lucy, ran Desilu Studios and did all these remarkable things.
1: When a film is mainly archival material, in many ways, the senior editor is, in a sense, co-director. And you can sue me, Academy, but I'll say it. They have to really understand the material. They have to really be conversant in all the different possibilities. And they have to be great at pulling it together into a story. And you could really feel that with Robert. Like he not only knows what's up there on the screen that we see, but he understands all the choices they made and all the reasons that they didn't do certain things. So they did certain things, certain ways. He makes the point early on, this is
0: not Hagiography. Hey, and while it's definitely a positive portrait of Lucy and Desi, I think, undeniably, it also goes in these different directions and makes some points that other people haven't really made about them as artists, as performers,
1: and as cultural phenomenon. It's much more about Desi than I thought it was going to be. There's much more here about Desi and his background and the fact that he built the whole studio you know, while he was doing the show is really impressive. To me, it's always a
0: testimony to the strength of a documentary about two artists if it embeds in you this strong desire to go back and rewatch or rediscover the work itself. I didn't always love I Love Lucy as a kid, but seeing all these clips of the shows, first of all, Lucy's amazing physical comedy is just undeniable. And the physical challenges that she is willing to undergo are just incredible and just some of the beauty of the show. I mean, it's shot in 35 millimeter. It looks great even today. There's just so much here that makes me wanna watch more of these shows. As usual, if you like this interview, please follow us and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and do tell a friend. Also, please follow us on Twitter at Pod. And now our conversation with Robert A. Martinez, editor of Lucy and Desi. Robert A. Martinez, welcome to Top Docs. Thanks for having me. And congratulations on the film, Lucy and Desi, and on your Emmy nomination.
2: Yeah, thank you very much. The crew is well represented with six nominations. That's the biggest joy for me is making sure that all of our hard work was recognized.
0: Absolutely. Well deserved. There are some obvious reasons why, even though she's actually a first-time feature documentary director, I think, Amy Poehler makes a lot of sense to direct this film. A successful comedian, sketch comedy maven, star of TV shows, a writer, director, producer who runs her own production company. In some ways, she actually seems like an amalgamation of both Lucy and Desi. How did Amy Poehler come to this project, and why did she want to make it?
2: I think all of those reasons are probably why everyone in in the production side of it, thought she would be the right candidate. But I don't think any of those really are the reason why the film is as good as it is and has had the effect on the audience. She is, as a storyteller, wants to paint an intimate picture of who people are. All of these accolades and sort of boilerplate accomplishments that that everyone knows about them is the Wikipedia page. And I think We as a crew and her as a storyteller, we're not trying to make a Wikipedia page with moving pictures. We really want to dig into who these people were. So when you come out of this, you know them. And she was absolutely dead set on making that happen. She's not interested in hagiography or anything like that. And that's what makes her a good documentary director. I think it's very easy for people to assume that her background aligning with Lucy and Desi's and any sort of intersections make her the fit. But that that quickly goes away once you get in the in the flow of a project. And it's actually a lot of the other things that make her strong, which is I think her background in sketch comedy and her time at SNL makes my life a whole lot easier. She's very agile as a storyteller and is, is not stuck. It's, if you can't do something, it's not the end of the world and she's not, Digging her hills, and she's okay. What are we doing next? We can't do this. She thinks in it like an editor in that way, which is we're working what, what is possible, not in an imaginary sense. And we're saying, here's all our materials. Here's so what we can actually, here's what the story actually can be. And it's very helpful as an editor to have a director like that who is willing to kill those darlings if we have to. And I think a lot of people think that the comedy is the reason why. And it's actually. When we get down to presenting the comedy in the story, the quickest way to make something not funny is explain why it's funny and talk about the craft and talk about these like, here's why they actually got to do it. And it's like, no, 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 Just let it play out. I think as a storyteller, she knows when to step back. And now that I think about it, it's another great choice by her was for herself for not to impose herself on the story, not do a sit down interview and explain these things, which she was asked by a lot of people to do because she can very quickly explain why this is important and why this works. She has that intelligence beyond a lot of her peers. But it's a smart move by her to step away and let either the people or the people within a degree of separation of them tell that story and not be so didactic about it. Not that she needs it, but I have a ton of respect for her.
0: One of the things that I think documentary filmmakers are always excited about is when they find out about an archive. You guys had access to an archive of audio cassettes that Lucy and Desi recorded later in life that the family granted you access to. For you as the editor, what were some of the things that you gleaned from those tapes, not just some of the revealing stories and content, but even things like the tenor and tone of the voices the pauses, all those little things that I'm sure you're very attuned to.
2: You have to be honest with who these people are telling you. It's like the trope of when people tell you who they are, you have to believe it. I think people come into a story about well-known people, especially Lucy and Desi, thinking they know who they are and unwilling to move on that position. They experienced it in their own lives. And when they separated, the fans did not want to accept the split. They said, no, 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 you guys are a part of our lives. You can't go away. And I think as a storyteller, too, you have to be willing to change your position on who these people are. By hearing their voices, you do get a window into to who they are, their personalities, what they react to. Sometimes a no answer is just as powerful as an answer. Where they're willing to go, what they push back on. There's a specific moment where in Lucy's interview, which is conducted by a writer for a woman's magazine, wants Lucy to take the position that. All the problems in the marriage were because of Desi. And she very quickly pushes back against that and says, no, it's a two-way street. I had just as much blame in a different way. My reactions to things, how I spoke to him could have been different. His sort of missteps don't go away, but it really shows how they worked as a partnership. They weren't stacking up reasons why it was one person's fault or another. You really got to see that this was a partnership, an equal partnership that they wanted to work that was throughout their public and private life. I think it gave us a, a way into knowing the people beyond the two-dimensional that everyone sees on the internet and on TV.
0: It's interesting that you mentioned that sort of bias of that interviewer and then Lucy's kind of corrective. I felt in a way, and part of this was, I think, coming through from the perspective of their daughter, Lucy Arnez Luckin, Bill, that there was... A need for a kind of corrective to, in a sense, rehabilitate Desi's legacy to some extent. Is that something that played on your minds as you were putting this together?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think early on in the process, and, and this has been something that, that he has experienced his whole life, and it was coming around in a cyclical way. Before I came on, I think the project was more Lucy-centric, which was to highlight her side of the story more than Desi's. And, he has had to fight for the spotlight his whole life to be recognized it's not a full erasure of his contributions but there is definitely for whatever reason him being a cuban immigrant her personality being larger than life he has not been given the same sort of light even though they as a partnership needed each other the innovations that they created a lot of those were desi or his crew making those things and it is important for us to get that on the board to know that this is all because of an Immigrant. It's a bedrock of American society. And it's a lot of times the impetus for uh, the great things we have. So to give him sort of his flowers now and to see that people still didn't know these things was kind of heartbreaking <laughs> in the same way. And for me as a Latin filmmaker as well, I think I was very grateful to, to have the opportunity to tell that story. It's not always something we're given the opportunity to do.
0: I learned a lot about Desi's innovations and their innovations as a team. And we'll definitely get into that a little bit later. I just wanted to ask you a question about balance, because this is a dual portrait. And those are very difficult, I think, to pull off. And I'll just say one of my favorite dual portrait docs is Best of Enemies. It's a double portrait of Gore Vidal and William F. Buckley. Anyway, what I love about it is just the sort of almost classical architecture, way they were able to balance these two stories. And I feel like you guys, and I give you special kudos as the editor, were able to achieve that same kind of successful balance, both between Lucy and Desi as individuals, and then between them as individuals and their story as a couple. Can you talk about the challenges of achieving this balance?
2: It's a challenging task because you could tell this story in so many ways and have enough to fill an hour and a half, two hours in six different versions of it. And we really had the key into what we wanted our version to be. And once we figured out that we wanted it to be about their relationship as partners and friends throughout their life, we were able to figure out sort of these intersections to so start with these two trains on separate tracks and, and they're weaving in and out of their lives. I think there's a sense of destiny that occurs in the early parts of the film where You know that they're eventually going to have this meeting that changes their lives. Figuring out how to get there as quickly as possible was another challenge. There's a lot of history and backstory, which I think is a challenge for a lot of films, especially linear films, is how do we not get bogged down in the childhood stuff? How do we not get bogged down in this exposition? How do we get to the meat of the story, which is when they're together? And part of that was making Desi a little bit more mysterious, having his background not really discussed until later on, worked a lot with Amy and our writer, Mark Nero, to figure out on paper, okay, how do we get them together, say in 20 minutes or something like that. And sometimes you have to work systematically like that and, and a little more surgically, not in a free-flowing sort of way through the edit and set some real ground rules on how we're going to attack this. And one of those that we figured out was where we could break the linear timeline was to get Desi's traumatic childhood closer to the trauma in his adult life when he's running the studio. So you see like, it's not only just about the hard work that he was putting into this, but it's also a product of losing everything and having to rebuild it as an adult. Bottling that trauma into one space helped us to build that balance and give his story relevance in a more efficient way. Same thing with Lucy. We have a tragic thing that happens in her childhood, which is the impetus for her sort of going to Hollywood and 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 making this stuff happen. I think a lot of it is that sort of consolidating of emotion that ties into the actual things that happen.
0: We interviewed Mark Monroe for the podcast about the Bee Gees documentary, which I know you edited. We're big fans of that film. Very good work. You've highlighted one example here, and I think it's clear that one of the things Mark is very good at is churning through story early on in act one, covering a lot of ground and mm-hmm. making later connections early on.
2: Yeah, yeah. I think that's something that picked up by him along the way, just through observation is how we introduce characters is a big thing. You know, there needs to be an organic sort of reason that ties into the narrative. You can't just pop up out of nowhere because they say an interesting thing. And I think he's also a Swiss army knife of a, a storyteller, which is for the Bee Gees, we didn't necessarily need as much scripting from him to create that film because we had two editors on that one. Editors are, in a way, writers as well, especially in documentaries. We know the archive and we know the footage better than anyone on the project, aside from maybe the assistant editors. So we can key into certain things and say, okay, I know what you want to do there, but there's a better way to do it over here. So in a way, we're building the script in a different way for Lucy and Desi we did need him more in, in uh, creating line scripts and stuff like that we brought in an additional editor and Dan Reed and also our, our assistant editor and I, I used to have, did some additional editing as well Dan specifically wasn't acclimated to the project and didn't know all these stories so he needed sort of a, a shaman or a guide in a way to eliminate that acclimation period and for me he just takes a lot of weight out of it because I want to build it all myself because that's a Part of the appeal to documentary editing is the influence you have over the story and the power you have in making the script and what's on the page and what's eventually on the screen. But he is someone who can take that weight away and can see it from a broad perspective while I'm having this very in the weeds editing perspective and just someone you can trust and say, are we doing the right thing here? He can save you from making a lot of time consuming mistakes because he's Working on I don't know twenty dogs a year or something like that. I don't know, but and also just has the wisdom of how do we make this process fun as well? It's not all can't always be work. I will get text from and say step away for a minute, take a break or something like that. I'm lucky to have him as a friend as well.
1: So the backgrounds of Lucy and Desi at first they seem completely disparate, right? Lucy's from upstate New York and Desi's from Cuba. But the film reveals in some interesting ways. We hear very early on that. Lucy lost everything, her family lost everything due to a lawsuit. We only later learn of Desi's background and how his idyllic childhood was disrupted by basically the revolution in Cuba. It seems like they're both driven to make it in the entertainment world due to this background. Can you talk about how you sketch that portrait of what was driving them?
2: I think they both, and I can relate to this as well, they were artistic people. For me, coming up and making my way to editing, I was always trying to find a way to have an artistic outlet that could make me some sort of living. And I think Desi, when he's growing up, a life path is imposed upon him by his family, which is he's going to be a lawyer. He's going to go to Notre Dame. He's going to do all these things that are more of a prestige for the family and seen as credible careers. But he's going to Carnival's, where he's the minority as a light-skinned Cuban person. He's around a lot of Afro-Cubans. A lot of his friends are not wealthy and he loves music. And I think in a lot of ways, their tragedy creates an opening for them to do these more artistic things. For Desi, him having everything take, if nothing gets taken away from him in his life, he's probably that lawyer. He's probably in that white collar world. But the fact that they have to reinvent themselves, Lucy had to he talks about in the film i need to do something that's going to make me money so she becomes a model and she gets in an interesting scenic way where she starts off in acting or in performing for vaudeville and these sorts of things has to put that aside there's an old term that people use something like being on the set like you have to be on the set for you to catch these opportunities they're not going to come to you at home so her just keeping moving and treading water in some ways created that opportunity for her to eventually go to Hollywood. And in that way, they're both sort of outsiders, right? Neither one of them have this uh, nepotism. they, They don't come from a pedigree of actors or performers, and they find their way there a lot of times by just reacting to the things that come their way.
0: You mentioned earlier about the importance of showing, not telling. For me, one of those moments, revelatory moments, was seeing Desi as a musical performer, Most of what, or all of what I had seen of him as a band leader was from the show. I Love Lucy, where he has the Ricky Ricardo band, which is not exactly a real band put together for the show. But seeing all that early footage of him commanding a stage with all those other drummers, it's electric. And he was also an innovator. He brought the conga line to the United States, which I had no idea. I'm just curious about his musicality and how it may have infused everything he did later in television as a performer on TV.
2: Yeah, yeah. I think he was always a, at the head of an orchestra, essentially. He was always commanding a large group of creative people. He comes on the scene in the film with a number from the show. It's one of the a handful of times on the show where he's actually performing. It's not a bit. It's not for the sake of comedy. It is literally in that and if I remember correctly, it's because of some sort of contractual agreement that Desi is given the right to perform in that first season a number of times because they were trying to, to take away what they would call that Cuban music. What's that Cuban music done in here? We don't need this. And they struck a deal where, and I think Jess Albenheimer was a part of this, where he could perform music if it was integral to the story. So they made sure that the music was a part of the narrative of, of those shows So he could use that skill. We have a couple people with the history, more than a couple, but a couple off the top of my head. And one of them is in the film, which is Charles. And Charles has been, she is short, given short change on her skills as well. And you see her come in and she's an amazing, familiar guitarist and performer in her own. And there's a parallel there with Desi, which is the Kong line has been parody. People do it at, those grandmas do it at their wedding. And his artistry isn't always given the right respect. But when you see it, it, it's undeniable. And just to follow up on your point of the musicality, I think there's a couple of places where that serves him. It serves him in the comedy with him and Lucy. There's definitely a musicality and a rhythm to the way that they perform. And I think he picked that up. They talk about rehearsal for the show and Desi would pick up all the nuances and, and know it right away. But it wouldn't necessarily get any better. He just knew it at a surface level. Here's where I need to be. I'm gonna hit my mark here. And Lucy was much different. She didn't have the same amount of musicality, but through her work ethic and her understanding as an actor, because I think she was a much better actor than Desi was, and found a way to to make the comedy grounded. So throughout the week, it would get better and better, and by the end of the week, it was just kind of jaw dropping what she crafted from an original like rough mold of what she was supposed to do so that musicality is inherent in the comedy as well them knowing when to take the lead and working in concert and also performing in front of a live audience knowing when to let the audience how far to let them because laughter too there's a rhythm between the performer and the audience and desi had that from his work with the band knowing how to work the crowd served him really well on the show
0: that's really interesting because i Totally forget that there's a bunch of people there watching them as they're making this show, and he can't just play to the camera. He has to play to them as well. For the sake of balance, I'm sure we're going to get to Lucy and her amazing skill set. But one more question about Desi here, which is you have a number of interviewees in the film. One of the ones that was unexpected for me is Eduardo Machado, the Cuban playwright, who was born in Cuba in 1953 and came to the U.S. as a child. He exclusively speaks about Desi in the film, and he talks about, as a child, watching Desi on TV, which helped him learn English. What I loved about the interview with him, and that for me felt a little different, is he engages in this kind of act of speculation about Desi's identity and his conflicted identity as an emigre to the United States, but for whom... Cuba was always a special place. It really was home home to Desi and Mm -hmm. always would be.
2: We were actually made aware of Eduardo through through Lucernez Luckinville. I think they had worked together on the stage. Before that, he was obviously a fan. And I think he was always trying to maybe position himself because he held Lucy and Desi in such high regard to find his way into their world through his work. And I think he has... A unique perspective as someone who owes a lot to that show. I don't think there's an Eduardo Machado, the playwright, without Lucy and Desi. So he has a a unique connection to them and a unique connection to the culture of Cuba. There's a lot of similarities he sees in his dad to Desi and why his family was accepted in the United States. There was a reference point they could say, "Oh, you're kind of like Desi." They weren't as alien as they might have been without the show. And I think. He probably experienced some of that, that refugee mentality. That was a big distinction that he provided, which is Desi's not an immigrant. This wasn't a choice. He was forced into the situation. And there's a great deal of trauma that occurs when you are forced to flee from your home. And he provided a window into that discussion, which is trauma. These past generations do not cover that. They're unwilling to go there. Desi is a part of that generation that doesn't recognize it. They're unwilling to recognize it. We all have a lot of older members of our family. Some of them are in conflicts with war, and the war is just something you cannot talk about. He had his own version of that. And Eduardo, his thoughts and opinions on that are his own, but we really agree with a lot of them. And it all made sense. And it's not one thing. It, Desi's trauma is not one thing. It is very complicated, but I think a lot of people need to recognize that his sort of second act or third act in life, d- there was a lot of things that build up to that. And not having near home is or someone who is fiercely proud of being a Cuban. This is something that they didn't make in the film, but Eduardo also talked about this, that Desi's accent was part of his charm. And Eduardo actually took, classes when he came to America to lose his accent. And it was the hardest thing he's ever had to do because not only do you have to work through the mechanics of doing that, but mentally you do not want to lose that. That is a part of your being and a part of your culture. And I think he's right. Desi specifically said, no, I'm not going to lose my accent. I'm sure these executives would love me to talk more like the other Latin performers of the time, the Cesar Moreno's or whoever, and be more of a homogenized American. And I think it speaks to Desi's love for his culture and the effect that it had on him, that he was always Cuban, even though he couldn't
1: go back there. Lucy, meanwhile, doesn't have a lot of success as an actor early on becomes a model in New York and then has a lucky break that brings her to uh, Hollywood. She loves it and she becomes a big part of the studio system. She becomes what's called the queen of the B pictures of the low budget pictures. I didn't know this, but you point out that the system didn't really recognize her comic talents at that point to the degree that they would later. But she show some shots of her where she flips a hat and she does a little like sly smile. You almost feel like her comic Brilliance breaking through despite these kind of shackles she has on her.
2: Yeah, and, you know a lot of that has to do with who had the right to be funny. Women did not have the right to be funny. That was a man's thing. That was the Charlie Chaplins and the Buster Keatons. And, and I think also Lucille Ball, the person, she doesn't consider herself an inherently funny person, and she's not going to tell you a joke at a party or anything like that. And she's a funny performer, and she can go there and create a convincing comedian that, that isn't her comedy is grounded as well i think she was ahead of her time in that way was that a lot of the comedy was very physical was very vaudeville and her accurate portrayal of humor was maybe not in vogue and maybe a little too progressive the biggest compliment is that the people who were actually the funniest people in the industry were the ones that groomed <laughs> you know buster keaton is like oh, no 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 you guys are missing everything i'm gonna take time out of my life to make sure that she has the tools to make this happen. So beyond whatever executives, studio executives or producers might've thought, when Buster Keaton's co-signing this, I think everyone should listen. But it is her acting ability that eventually does set her apart. And I think people forget that they want to put her in the box of comedian or comedic actor. And she is an actor first and foremost. Everything has to have a reason. It's not funny for the sake of funny. When Lucy Ricardo, needs a hat or is on a mission or wants to get into the act, you're convinced that is the most important part
1: of the story. A repeated theme throughout the show is that she didn't see herself as a natural actor or comedian. She worked very hard at it. She believed it was a skill that she built. She rehearsed endlessly, and this becomes a source of friction later with her and Desi. Can you talk about that emphasis? You have all these great outtakes from her kind of in full traditional riding gear, falling back over a table over and over again. that, That must be painful to do that way. What was the importance of effort for her?
2: I think there was a sense of identity there as well. I think she was very much in favor of being given some sort of title or being typecast in a way. I think she lived through her work. I think she wanted an identity on the stage or on the set, and Lucy Ricardo provided that for her. So she was always interested in fulfilling that identity. I think her daughter, Luciana Zlatanbola, says that in one of the interviews I've seen, when she found that character, she didn't want to let it go. And it was a revelation for her. Like, part of that is, is the writers and Desi being the ones to actually say, write these things for them. For a lot of actors, these things have to be written. This is a part of representation as well, you know, for her as a female, you have to write female roles in comedy for her to be able to do that. And I think it was a very liberating experience, but she was a workaholic. Speaking from someone who who can relate to that and what we do, it's a very addictive sort of thing to not only create, but create something amazing. I'm not speaking for myself, but speaking for and I Love Lucy, there's a there's an obligation that you have to use this. This is a special thing. It'd be a shame not to share this with the world. I think her life was her work, and it sometimes was at the detriment of
1: other things. She actually finds her first kind of comedic success amazingly on radio, given what a physical mm-hmm. comedian she is. And then this show, My Favorite Husband, they want to turn to a TV show, the early days of TV. She says, great, but it's got to be with Desi. And they get through this. And actually, yes, they get the green light for this. There's a lot of different things we could talk about here. Let me start with one thing I think is really interesting is that Desi Arnaz has this incredible insight. TV has been this throwaway medium. Things often weren't taped at all, but if they were shot, it was typically done through the process of aiming the film camera, either at the viewfinder of a television camera or maybe the studio monitor if we're lucky. And of course, the quality is not very good. He has this incredible insight, which no, let's shoot it with three cameras on film not only does this increase the quality, the immediate quality, but it allows for things like reruns. They can show later and when they have their child, that's exactly what they do. But essentially, and this is where he really, they built their empire. He now has five years of very nice looking lighted by cinematographer Carl Freund, a legend. A very nice looking show that they can syndicate. It's going to last forever. There's two parts to that, which is the technical side that we are
2: talking about in your question. The, the long lasting effect of the decision and the posterity that it provided for the show. But at the core, a lot of these decisions were made out of the love that they, the two of them had together. So we talk about the first Lucy pushing for Desi to be on the show so they could be in proximity to each other. He was on the road with his band, doing probably terrible things, (laughs) you know, like it was a make or break moment for their marriage. And she found a way to have the best of both worlds to make the show that she wanted with the man that she loved to save their marriage. And the, the same thing with the filming, the proposal for the studio was you guys need to go to New York and do this on Kinescope because the population of the TV viewers skewed East Coast at that time. The West Coast was still being built in that way. And the decision to shoot on film was so they could do it on the West Coast and stay at their family home, and keep the family. They just had a kid. They're building their family. Same thing with the rerun. She has her second child as a junior and. And is recovering from her pregnancy. And Desi says, she needs time to recover. And here's what we do. We play the greatest hits. Everybody wants to see these things again. So syndication and reruns are, again, a product of their love and wanting to keep their marriage going. So I think that's part of the conversation that maybe hadn't been had before. We list the accolades. We list the innovations. But... And this has a lot to do with Amy's intention, which is you need to get to the story of the people behind them, the why, of what was going on to make these innovations happen and change the landscape. They weren't explorers trying to conquer this medium. They were a, a husband and wife who loved each other and wanted the system to work for them. So it has everything to do with their love.
0: Yeah, it's interesting to hear you say that. And obviously that rebounds even more through the content of the show, where they're this lovable couple. I want to ask you, when did you first watch I Love Lucy? It was a part of my childhood.
2: I don't I don't remember exactly. It was on in the mornings. It was on the weekends. There was a baseball rainout or something. They would turn on Lucy. And I Love Lucy. So it was just kind of a part of the fabric of television in a time when streaming wasn't a thing. I didn't have cable at that time until I was in college. Probably. So I literally had seven or nine channels. Amy had a, I saw an interview, she did, she had a good quote and she said that it came with your television. It was part of your television and I agree with that. I don't think I ever had to make a decision of am I going to watch this or not? It was always there. I don't know anyone in my immediate family or any of my friends who doesn't know about that show. I think it's an American institution in that way, watching it in, in a modern context. We did not pick up on you know, how rare it was for Desi to be on TV or Lucy to be the lead as a female character. That didn't happen until later in life, even more so on this project.
0: As you were putting this pro, as you were editing the project, I'm sure you looked at any episodes, correct?
2: Yeah, yeah. All all the Lucy ones. So you like watched them all.
0: Any special moments from any of them that either made it into the film or didn't?
2: The one that always gets me is the pregnancy episode. I think it's one of the few moments where there is no acting going on there. That is a real moment. Those are real tears. That one always checks me out. It is a completely human moment.
1: You're talking about the episode where it's from the band, he reads the note that says, hey, I I want to tell my husband this secret. I don't know how to do it. And he goes around the whole room and then he lands a loose scene. She nods her head.
2: Dark moment. And we let that play out in the film and try to not cut that up too much. A big part of editing is knowing when to take your hands away from the keyboard. We do that a couple of times in the film. But that episode always,
1: it always affects me. That, That moment and their delivery Another scene that plays out a little bit, and I was surprised by it a little bit, which is I think it's a later Emmy Award maybe she's receiving. Mm. I'm not sure which award she's receiving. She seems surprised by it. She says, I didn't know. I didn't expect this. And she's not super prepared. But you let that play out. Can you talk about that choice? They didn't live a very public life. As much
2: as in much documentation as we have of them, they were pretty strict about who they were going to let into their lives, how much they were going to get to the public. There's different reasons for that. I think one could be trying to present the Ricardos as as who they were, which could have been, I'm sure was a frustrating thing. Everyone was like, tell me a joke, Lucy. And she's like, I'm not that person. So it's a very interesting window into who she is as a person to be this sort of apologetic hero figure. I think she was shocked and she thought maybe that People loved Lucy Ricardo and didn't necessarily love Lucille Ball, and they're all there to celebrate Lucille Ball. There's sort of two worlds that that they're both living in. They're on-screen personas, which everyone thinks is the real thing, and then there's the real people. I think that speech provided a real moment of, here's Lucille Ball, the person.
0: The son of I Love Lucy, producer and head writer, Jess Oppenheimer, is quoted as saying, every episode was built around the idea of fracture and coming back together. To me, this is a simple statement, but it's incredibly perceptive, not just about the show, but about the marriage. Their marriage was constantly, it seems, fracturing and coming back together until it didn't. What was the challenge for you of avoiding the cliches of showing the happy couple, and the perfect marriage, while also showing that this was a pretty special relationship, even if it did end up in divorce.
2: Yeah, I think it's a modern conversation. What is love? What is the perfect relationship? It's specific to each one. There's no perfect situation. And even in in the show, you knew they were going to get back together, but they did the craziest things. And I think they wanted to mirror some of that in their own lives. It wasn't possible. It's not possible for any of us. But it's showing the complexities of what it means to be in a marriage, the balance that it requires. Where do you find that joy? What is the sacrifice of that? If you put too much time in your work, which they did, it's at the detriment of a lot of other things. I think trying to achieve that balance is a goal that all of us have, but they're put in an unfair position. They get all of this Everything they want, but it's too much, and eventually becomes the reason for the marriage falling apart, or at least a big reason. The idea is that there's no formula for this. I think a lot of times we want to, at least back in in those days, there was the idea of what is the marriage: the wife is at home, the man is working. But that's not reality, you know. <laughs> like, there's a very much a, a conversation of, of gender roles as well. Lucy is out there working; it's eventually the head of the company, and their personalities swap gender roles as well. Desi is very emotional. He's not this sort of rigid person and Lucy is more rooted in structure. So they swap roles there as well. Same thing in the show. Lucy Ricardo is out making stuff happen. She's not at home cooking meals all day, even though it it does still play into a lot of tropes of the 1950s. There is some innovative gender swapping that happens on the show. The fracture and repair, it definitely mirrors what we all want. We all want to love someone and have them have tolerance for our flaws and tell us that it's okay.
1: We're not perfect people, but I think we're perfect for each other. I know mentorship is really important to Amy Poehler. She's famous for mentoring many comedians, especially women, but more generally, too. You showed how Lucy was a great mentor, uh, famously Carol Burnett, but also Bette Midler, Mary Tyler Moore, John Rivers. Can you talk about the importance of mentorship?
2: I think this plays into sort of journey of discovery for us on the film team which was we came into this with maybe a view on how lucy was a feminist and how she provided opportunities for women and empowered women and i think there's historically been a idea of feminism that is not what lucy was and her daughter was instrumental in in making sure we told the true story Whenever there were ideas of, no, she loves running the company, she is grateful for this platform and knows it's important to women. And that was not the case. And I think a lot of Lucy's feminist qualities were through action. She did it by example. She didn't sit anyone down and say, hey, this is important because we're women and there's not many of us out there. She empowered women through action, through her company. Not only did she mentor people in person, but she provided opportunities for people like Marlo Thomas through all the Desi Lu shows that they produced. And I think she's a feminist icon, not in the cookie cutter, maybe 2D way that we want. And I think this is also what people want feminists to be. And I can relate to this in in not exclusively the female mentors in my life, but the mentors specifically is that Mentorship a lot of times happens through example. There's not a lot of big soapboxy moments, and this is a more realistic view of what that is, and a Lucy-specific way of how she changed the landscape for women.
0: Well, Robert, not only were these well-rounded people, but this is a very well-rounded documentary, and I want to congratulate you on your Emmy nomination for Best Editing and also the multiple Emmy nominations that the team has earned. And thank you so much for being here. I know it made me want to go back and watch a lot of I Love Lucy episodes (laughs) (laughs) because you've shown us all over again why it's such a remarkable show. Thank you very much.
1: Do you have a hidden gem, a documentary that you think doesn't get the attention that it deserves? There's a short documentary
2: called Doc Ellis and the LSD No-No that was done a long time ago by a clothing brand that no longer exists called Nomos. And I don't know if it's super unknown or not. It's been around for a while, but it is something I come back to. Doc Ellis, he was a pitcher for the Pittsburgh Pirates in the 70s, and he actually threw a no hitter on LSD. It's an animated short doc built from an NPR interview that he did. And it has an energy that is really inspiring for me. And I keep, when I'm never down, I come back to that one. And it's on YouTube. You can just search LSD No, and you can find it. But it is an interesting blend of a very honest and unfiltered interview and psychedelic animation.